Welcome to the New Freedom Church Podcast. This podcast will help you grow deeper in your faith through weekly 30-minute talks. If you haven't already done so, go ahead and hit that subscribe button so you get each new episode as it's released. Now sit back and relax as God speaks to you through this message. So there are basically four core values that we have as a church body, and you can see those on the walls as you walk down the hallways, and uh, you can see them in all of the literature, uh, sometimes in the classes that, that we teach. But I, I feel like it's important that we regularly go back to the core. What is the core? A core is the central part of a fruit that contains the seed. And you know that there is life in the seed. And so when that seed is planted in fertile ground, in, in the fertile grounds of our hearts, when our core values as a Bible-believing church, a body, a congregation that is called out to be uh, salt and light to this world. When those seeds are planted in the fertile soil of our hearts, then we start to operate in those core values. And I believe that it, it uh, honors God and it builds up the kingdom of God in our presence right here as we await for the final consummation of God's kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Our mission here at New Freedom is to be real people experiencing real freedom. And freedom is not just a word. It's not just an ideal or a goal. Freedom came to us in the person of Jesus to end the curse of sin and death. Galatians 5.1 says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. There is a purpose and a reason why Jesus came, and primarily that is so that we could be freed from the slavery of sin. If anybody has been freed from the slavery of sin and you're happy about it today, just say hallelujah. God is good. 2 Corinthians 3.17, this is our signature verse. It says, now, we're the, uh, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we want to be experiencing that freedom all of the time in our lives. And so today I want us to talk about the core value of experiencing or experiences with God. And I'll ask you this question, how are you experiencing God? How are you experiencing God? Is there an ongoing process by which you are having an encounter with the very real presence of God in your life? Are you experiencing something of a vibrant faith or are you simply just living on manna from yesteryear? Are you just looking back and saying, well, that's how it's always been, that's how it will always be and I'm just kind of going through the motions. There is no more uncomfortable person in this world than a fence-riding Christian. Neither hot nor cold, just kind of in the middle. That is a miserable place to be. And so it's my prayer, my desire that before we leave today, that you truly get on the pathway of experiencing and having an encounter with God for yourself. Now, I can recount experiences. I can recount an experience to you about an event or a trip or maybe a weekend that sticks in my memory. And, and usually when I'm recounting an experience like that, it's a moment in time. It's kind of etched there. And, and if I were to go around the room and ask, you can come up with a couple as well. There are some things that have been pivotal in your life. Maybe they happened just recently, but a lot of times they were things that happened long ago that are etched there. A song can simply bring back that, that entire range of emotions and a memory, and, and it can kind of take you a trip down memory lane. And we can recount uh, experiences that we've had, but these moments are what gets etched in our minds. And moments matter because they make up minutes till they turn into hours, and finally those months and years make up our lives. But I want to tell you about an experience that I had when I was 15 years old. 
I'd been uh, encountering a friend. He was quite a bit older than me, and, and he was sharing with me his faith in Christ. And I was, I was far from God. At 15, I was doing things that were way more mature than a 15-year-old should be doing. I was exposed to things I shouldn't have been exposed to. And I was really, for all intents and purposes, I was living my best life then. <laughs> I was living my best life. You know, the Bible says that there is pleasure in sin for a season. Don't let anybody tell you that, that all sin is, is uh, awash with everything negative and bad and there's no fun in it. No, there is pleasure in sin for a season. And I had a fill of that season for a time. I was 15 years old and this uh, friend started to witness to me about, about Christ. And I really, at first, was resistant. I wasn't interested. I didn't really need God. I was having a pretty good life right then. But something kind of nagged at me that I, there was more than what I knew to be of life. There was more to the story, that, that his words were so captivating and his life was so attractive as to the joy that he had and, and just the, the simplicity, it seemed like, of his life. And so I kept going back to hear more hear more of his testimony. I heard some of the, the things that God had done for him. And I can't recall really even having him open up a Bible and tell me a bunch of Bible verses, but it was a life transactional kind of experience. Like, here's what God has done for me. And this is where I think we cloud it and make it so difficult sharing our faith is that, that we think if we're not a Bible scholar, then someone's not going to accept us or we don't have the right words to say. So instead of witnessing to them, we'll just invite them to church. Now, uh, go ahead, invite people to church. In fact, you know that uh, 80% of people who are invited, particularly on a church holiday or a special day, will come if they're invited and you say that you'll be there with them, over 80%. So what that tells me is that we don't ask often enough, right? But just, just inviting somebody to church is okay, but there's something that goes beyond that when you personally will testify as to what God has done for you. See, inviting them to church, they get to come sit in a row like you and they get to hear from a paid professional like me about how great the church is and that, why they should serve God, right? But hearing your testimony is like hearing from a satisfied customer. And that's what they need to hear. They need to hear your life. They need to hear your testimony. When I was 15 years old, this man started to witness to me. And, and it took more than just one occasion of witnessing. It took probably months, a couple of months. And, and we would talk, have long talks. And I would ask lots of questions until finally, he, he finally, like after two months of witnessing to me, he asked me to church. Would you want to go to church with me? I'm like, yeah, I thought you would never ask. <laughs> like, I'm ready to do this. And so he asked me to go to church. And, and I will recount to you a moment in my life that has been forever indelibly etched in my heart, in my mind, when at 15 years old, I sat on that pew about middle of the way down the church house on a Sunday night when the female pastor got up to preach the word of God with power and authority and gave that altar call. I could not wait to the end of that message. I was under such heavy conviction. I wanted to give my heart and my life to Jesus. And I thought, because I'd been raised in church as a, a young child, I thought that the way to do that is you had to walk the aisle, you had to come and kneel down at the altar, and you had to do it right there in a church house. I have come now to realize that you can accept Jesus around a campfire, in your car, listen to a podcast, in your living room at home, at a, at a retreat. At, you can you can. Accept Accept Jesus in a bar. It doesn't matter where you are. It matters the intention of your heart. And so I knelt down at that altar at 15 years old, confessed my sins, repented that I was far and undone away from God and his son, and Jesus brought me near. There was something that was so powerful about that moment that 28 years later, I'm still savoring and I'm still 
reminiscing and still thinking about what that experience meant to me. But that experience in and of itself was not enough to necessarily keep me in the faith which I had just had the door open to or just had, had stumbled into. There was a series of things that needed to happen in my life that did happen that I want to share with you today through the scriptures of what the process is that God takes us through on experiences. And I need you to hear this well because we have to be very careful that we don't just elevate our experiences to the pinnacle and think that, that the Christian faith is all about good experiences. Because there will be times, and there have been times for me in 28 years, where it feels as though the heavens are brass, that when I pray, it's like my prayers just bounce right back down. Like, God, I already prayed this prayer. You haven't answered me. It's been three hours after all. Where's the answer? And there's no answer, not for three hours, not for three days, not for three weeks, sometimes not for three years. There are times and seasons in our lives that our experiences will not be pleasant, but that doesn't mean that God has left us. Our experiences may not be our choosing. It may not be what we would have preferred. It may not be, have been of, of the nature that we would have dreamt for, but we can trust this, that the same God who called us is the God who keeps us, that preserves us, that walks with us every single step of the way. So I want to ask you again, are you experiencing God on an ongoing basis? How are you experiencing God? See, I've, I've found that some people, they live on an experience that they had for many years, but it's like reliving that same experience year after year after year. That although they've been saved and been in the church for over 20 years, they really only have one or two years worth of spiritual experience because they never move off of that initial experience. They just reminisce in that. And there's nothing wrong with reminiscing. There's nothing wrong with having these treasured moments. I just shared with, with you one that I have treasured for 28 years, but there has been an accumulation over the years of God's faithfulness, of, of a new level, of new steps, of new journey. Every single time there is something that is being experienced by God. And here's what I know about experiencing God is that it involves change. And change in our vernacular is really a dirty word. We don't like change. Now, we usually like the results of change, but we don't like the process. We don't like it when something upsets our norm or uh, someone de decides for us to do something different than what we had in our mindset. I, I remember uh, being uh, a teenager when I got my driver's license. Uh, I couldn't wait until I could use that radio player in my car. And I was in the era still where they had cassette tape decks in the car. Anybody remember the cassette tape in the car? Some of you said, I remember the eight track in the car. Okay, that's a little before my time. But some of you were upset when they got rid of the eight track and they made you buy all those cassettes. And I remember having to go to Walmart and buy one of those CD players with the cord that at the end of the cord, it was a cassette tape because my car didn't have a CD player, but it had a cassette tape and I was accumulating some CDs. And so I had to put this, the tape in there and play on the CD and you'd have to drive really slow and just pray that nobody stops too fast in front of you while your favorite song's on. Cause as soon as you hit that bump or you hit those brakes, what's gonna happen to the song? It skips or it stops or it goes back to the beginning. Not very good technology, right? So then the day came when uh, CD players were very common and prevalent in cars, and, and we all got used to that. We even had, how many had a five-disc CD changer in your car? I mean, you thought you were hot stuff. You could listen to music for hours with a five-disc changer, right? 
until that little changer cassette got a little tripped up. Those were temperamental too. I'm going somewhere with this. Some of you are like, would you just get on with the point? Okay. So I remember the day when I purchased a vehicle that did not have a cassette tape deck. It didn't have a CD player. It simply had a Wi-Fi connector. And they were telling me now the technology says you need to go ahead and just connect wirelessly or you can plug it in and listen to all your music through your own device. And I'm like, how cheap is that on the car manufacturers? We spend thousands of dollars for this automobile for them to tell us that they're going to get rid of the technology that we're so accustomed to and that we love. We don't like to change, do we? But lo and behold, you find out that it is a superior technology that not only do you have to wait for the five CDs to play through, but if you're on a long trip, you can listen to endless hours of music or podcast or listen to an audio book. You don't ever even have to hear the kids in the back. You have all that you need right there at your fingertips, but it requires us to go through a very necessary change. Technology changing about every 16 months, it gets obsolete, it changes. We don't like that, it's costly, it's expensive, but change is part of life. In fact, it's been said that the only constant in life is change. And so we had better get used to it. Now here's the dichotomy, here's the tension point, that we have to be people who are willing to go through a change but our God is never changing. How is that? That's because his ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. We're just catching up to the thoughts of God after God. That's what they say science is, catching up to the thoughts of God after God thanks them. And so change is a process. In the book of Acts chapter nine, we see a story about a man named Saul. You may have heard of Saul of Tarsus. He was a persecutor of Christians. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. And Saul became uh, a great writer, prolific writer in the New Testament. We know him now as the Apostle Paul, but his story doesn't start out as the great writer for the church. His story starts out in Acts chapter nine as someone who's breathing threats and accusation against the Lord's disciples, so much so that he becomes a persecutor and is on a mission to murder and kill Christians, which he actually succeeds for a time. And in Verses one through five, it talks about how that Saul is on this journey to Damascus. He's going to go and he's going to persecute more Christians. I'll just skip through a couple here. Uh, I want to get down to, to uh, verse three. It says, as he journeyed, he came near Damascus and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Now watch his experience. Paul is about to have, Saul is about to have an experience from God. He saw a light shone from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, I think we've already heard this today, but God knows your name. Saul, Saul, the double annunciation of God. There, there are only uh, about five times in scripture where God calls someone's name tw two times, double annunciation of God, where it's to get their attention. Like one time wouldn't be enough for God, no it is, but there is something that he is driving home. God knows his name, God knows his purpose, his mission, God knows where he's at, God knows what he's doing. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Now the name Saul means to question. God here turns the tables on this great questioner and now God is asking the questions. And he said, Saul said, who are you, Lord? See, we read right past that in our modern translations, but here's what Paul is saying. 
Who are you? Who is this, this speaking to me? I know I've never had this experience before, but now I hear something in my ears I have never heard before. This is altogether different. Who are you, Lord? Is that you, is what he's saying? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to go against the goads, the pricks. The goad is how they would, they would goad a, a ox in the field. This was a common farming tactic that if an ox wouldn't move, they'd had a little spike and they would put it on a stick. And so the, the, the person who was, was driving that, that team of oxen would get the oxen to move when they would just press, they would goad them along. They would press it into them. And so here's what Jesus is saying. Yeah, you've got that right. I am the Lord and you are persecuting me, but it's hard for you to go against the goading of God. It's hard for you to kick, one translation says, to kick against the pricks. Because when that prick was out there and that, that goad was there on that, that stick, if you kick against it, it's going to hurt. And here's what he's saying is, you're about to experience something that is going to really, really hurt you. And this is what I've found about God. God does not tell us no in our lives so that he tell, takes all of our joy. God does not tell us that there are prohibitions against certain activities of our desires of our heart. You know, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. No one can know it. So when you hear somebody say, well, I'm just following my heart, tell them, be careful with that. Be careful with just following your heart because it can lead you astray. And God doesn't tell us no as a killjoy. He tells us no because you're going to hurt yourself like any good parent would do to tell a child, no, don't touch that hot stove. Why? Because you want to take all their fun away? No, because it will hurt them. And God as a loving father tells us no, or will goad us in the direction we need to go. Even though we're not heading in that direction, he wants to take us somewhere else for our own benefit and for our own good. And so Paul is experiencing something here. His name is Saul at this point, but he is experiencing an encounter from God where he's having a course correction. Has anybody ever had a course correction from God? How many are thankful today that God has given you a course correction? Maybe today, is somebody's course correction. Maybe today is where God starts to ask the questions and that, that little goading to go one direction is now getting our attention. Now we all have plans. The Bible tells us that there are many plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord that directs the paths. We have intentions. But how do we know if we're on the right path? How do we know if the plans that we have, if the intentions that we have are the right intentions. You can't just simply go on your plans. You can't just simply lean and trust on your understanding. You can't go with, well, I didn't intend to do wrong. You can intend all you want to get to California from here and start going east. You will not get to California. Well, you might, but you're going to need a boat. You're probably going to need an airplane. You're going to need a horse. You're going to need a car. You're going to need a lot of things in order to make it around the globe. So just because you intended to go one direction doesn't mean you're going in the right direction. How do you know when you've had an experience that you are in the right direction? As Christian believers, we should never place an experience superior to the word of God. Our experiences should be subject or under the word of God. It's just like when someone comes to you and they say, I got a word from, for you from God. I got a word for you. I, I've, I've had some people give me a word and they were spot on. I had uh, about two, two years ago, a, a, a man of God was in a service 
uh, he was, he was uh, visiting there. I'd been invited uh, for, by a friend and I didn't think I was gonna go. And I, I told my friend I probably couldn't make it. And so when I came, I didn't even tell him I was gonna be there. And I sat on the back row, as any good preacher would sit on the back row. <laughs> some of you, we got some preachers in here this morning. Oh, the back row is filled. I sat on the back row and about midway through his message, he started to, to pull people out and, and like speak a word over him. At first I'm skeptical. I'm thinking, I don't know about all this. Maybe he knew them people before. Maybe the pastor told him about that person. And then about halfway through, he says, hey, you right there. And of course I do one of these like that. And he says, no, you right there. Come on up here. You're a pastor, aren't you? I'm like, well, okay. I look like a pastor, right? And he starts to speak some things over me and say some things that were like, you ever had somebody read your mail? Like he's just reading my mail. Like, wow, that's exactly what I'm going through. I never had told anybody but my wife some of these things. And I knew it was a word from God. Just because you have an experience though, just because someone gives you a word doesn't mean that you uh, bank on it. You need to put it under subjection to the word of God. So this is our roadmap. This is our guideline. Just like there are some, some ways in which you're going to navigate to get cross country, there are some things you need to do to navigate according to the experience that you have. So having experiences with God, we're not afraid of experiences and we want to, to have people experience things, but they have to be subjected to the word of God. So here's what happened for the, the man named Saul. Verse six says, so he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? This is a very good question for all of us. Lord, what do you want me to do? Let's get specific about this, God. Now, I can't tell you that you can go to the Bible and find a specific answer to every problem you've ever encountered, but you can find wisdom, you can find instruction, you can find direction in God's word. But here's the question Paul said, what do you want me to do? Now he's having this dialogue with God and here the Lord said to him, arise, go into the city and you will be told what you must do. We see here this honest questioning to an experience that was so dramatic for this man saw that everyone around him heard this voice. He saw a light and then he was blinded. It says that he didn't eat for three days. He was fasting. And though his eye, here's what the Bible says, though his eyes were open, he couldn't see. We have a lot of people walking around in full visibility, full view, but they have a vision problem. It is a vision of their heart. They cannot see what is right in front of them that the Lord is calling, the Lord is drawing. It is the goodness of God. He is calling them to repentance. He is calling and drawing them. They can't even see. Spiritually speaking, Paul was blind because he was in his mind doing the right thing. He was on a pursuit, experiencing Killing Christians was his experience because he thought he was honoring God. And then he had a drastic change. A course correction came. And now he's asking God, what do you want me to do? And God said, go to the city. I'll tell you what to do. It says that from there, Saul was led by people to the place where he needed to go. And sometimes you need to rely on some wise counselors, some good friends to help you discern and know what you should do. Paul did. He relied on these counselors. And then God gave a vision to a man named Ananias. It's right here. You can read it. He gave a vision to a man named Ananias and said, there's a man, Paul, he's praying and you need to go to him and you need to pray for him. And, it, and at the same time, God gave saw this vision of Ananias coming to him and laying his hands on him and that he would be healed of his sight. This is, this is amazing. 
So a man who is blind definitely wants to experience the lack of blindness and the ability to see, right? This was a desire of Saul's heart and he saw this in prayer. And so when Ananias comes, you can read it in, in chapter nine, when Ananias comes, he lays his hands on him. And the Bible says that something like scales fell from his eyes. There was a visible and literal experience of healing that happened right here for Saul. Now he was a believer already because he had, he had given his, his acknowledgement, his, his submission to the Lord. Lord, what do you want me to do? Is this you, Lord? And he's calling him Lord. But now he had a bona fide healing experience with God. And I've always heard it said that a man with an argument is always at the mercy of a man with an experience. You can't argue to me that God doesn't heal because I've seen him be healer. You can't argue to me that God doesn't save because I've seen him save. You can't argue to me that our God is not a great big God. I've seen him do great big things. And so Saul relied on some people to help him. He, he heard from Ananias and was prayed for. And it says that Saul got baptized. And this is important. We witnessed this morning a baby dedication. That's important. That is vital. There is a next step for a, a, an adult believer that as a body of believers, as a congregation, that we celebrate greatly around here, and that is baptism, where someone goes under the water, and when they do that, it is saying that I am dying to the deeds of the flesh in the old world. I am rising out of that water to newness of life again, just like Jesus was baptized, Saul was baptized, and it's not for the washing away of the filth of the flesh. That's what a bath is for. But it is for showing a good conscience towards God. And so on April the 16th, let me get my date right here. April the 16th, I'll just parenthetically insert. April the 16th, we're going to have a baptism service. If you haven't been baptized, you need to be. You should celebrate the fact that you have come into the family of God. And we baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And so... It shows a good conscience towards God and a newness of life. And all of the church gets to celebrate. That is probably my favorite service. Second would be a baby dedication. These are times in which we give to God our allegiance, our heart, our life, our direction, our plans, everything, we turn it over to him. And so Saul was baptized. And it said that he began from there to preach Christ. So how do you know that you're on the right path, that your experience is in the right direction? Well, it has to be confirmed and backed up by the Word of God. The Word of God is our guide. In, in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul, I didn't give him, give him this uh, back there, uh, but he says that he preached the gospel to them, the gospel of Jesus, according to the Scriptures. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 5. He talks about having a basis by which he preaches the gospel, the good news message, and he says that it's according to the scriptures. Now, Paul's scriptures were the same as Jesus' scriptures, which were the old covenant law, particularly the Psalms. The Psalms was the prayer book and the song book of Jesus and his disciples, quoted more than any other book in Jesus' ministry. And if you look at Psalm 16 and verse 9, it says, my heart and my soul explode with joy, the full glory of God. Even my body will rest confident and secure, for you will not abandon me to the realm of death, nor will you allow your faithful one to experience corruption. It's talking about the death and burial of Jesus. Because of you, I know the path 
of life, that's what the scriptures say, and I have tasted the fullness of joy in your presence. At your right side, I experienced divine pleasures forevermore. The gospel that Paul preached is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That is the good news. That because Jesus rose from the grave, you and I also are being resurrected spiritually now and bodily later. There is both a now kingdom of God and a coming kingdom of God. There is this tension of in between the already and not yet kingdom of God. We see the kingdom of God breaking through. This is good news. We get to be participants with this in our day right here and now. But there is also this longing, this hope, this joy that this is not the only life that we have, that there is coming a day that the the Lord himself will descend with a shout and the archangel and the trump of God and the dead in Christ will rise and we will be joined to together and so shall we ever be with the Lord. This is the blessed hope that Jesus is coming again. Can I get an amen? amen? And so how are you experiencing God? He said, arise, go into the city and you be told there what to do. And God's plan, hear me, God's plan was revealed to Saul one piece at a time. Now, if you're like me, you have probably prayed a prayer like this. God, Just show me the plan from A to Z. Put it out there like a 90-minute film, like a crime story that gets solved in 90 minutes. I don't want to wait. I don't want to delay. Just go ahead and give me all the answers right now. Anybody ever prayed a prayer like that? We are products of our culture because we think that everything happens in a microwave moment, but it doesn't. In In the scheme of God, in the plans of the Almighty, it's little by little. Let me prove it to you as they come. We'll get ready to close. Exodus 23 and 27. This is God speaking to Joshua and the people about the promised land. And he says, I'll send my fear before you. I'll cause confusion among all the people whom you come in contact with, and I'll make all your enemies turn their backs to you. And I'll send hornets before you. I'll drive out the Hivite, the Canaanite, the the Hittite before you. I'll drive them out before you in one year. Now, here's the promise of God. If you will get up and go to your promised land, I'll drive them all out. God's going to do the work. He said, I'll drive them all out and I'll do it in one year. Lest the land become desolate and the beasts of the field become too numerous for you. Look at verse 30. Here's what we have to get in our hearts, especially when an experience is not going the way that we would like it to go. Here's what God told his people. And here's what he confirmed in Saul. Here's what he said. Little by little. Somebody say that with me. Little by little. I will drive them out before you until you have increased and you inherit the land. Saul, his name means questioning. Always full of questions. But God changed his name to Paul, which means humble. Now we want an experience that just wraps everything up real nice, puts a bow on top of it, sends us on our way. What you're likely to find with God is that it doesn't happen all at once, that there are still enemies out there in the land. But little by little, God is fighting the battles for us. God is driving out the enemies in front of us, not on our timetable, but according to his plan. And what we experience is so vital, it's so important because it is God proving his word time and time again. We want to be a church of experiencing God on an ongoing basis, not saying we've ever arrived, 
Because when we get to the place where all oh, we're spiritually elite, we've arrived, what happens is we start looking down our nose at other people who are coming along a little more distant in the journey than we are. And we can't relate with them when our experience is all Christian perfection. But when we have the experience that, you know what, little by little, God gave me a victory here and a victory tomorrow and a victory the next day. And I have to keep relying on him and trusting by faith that I'll have a victory for tomorrow. Then people can relate to that. And as a church, a core value of ours is to be a people experiencing God all the time so that we can be offering a lifeline to those who are also far from God and saying, as one beggar in need of bread found bread, I'm gonna tell another beggar where they can find bread. That's what I want to do. Come to the house of God, Bethel, the house of bread. This is where we get fed. This is where we have our spiritual sustenance. This is where we experience community and fellowship. This is where we encounter God. But little by little, it says, you, you will inherit the land as I increase you. As God increases us through teaching, through singing, through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, through fellowshipping, through encountering one another, through disagreeing with one another agreeably, through finding a common ground and a common source of our agreement at the cross. As iron sharpens iron, that's not a pleasant process. So does the countenance of one person sharpen another. And every step of the way, we're being increased. We're getting bigger. On the inside, we're getting bigger. And through church fellowship, some of us get bigger on the outside, amen. We get bigger in our spirit. We get bigger because God increases us. And we come to the place of looking back and saying, my experiences with God are valuable. They're precious and they're shareable with others. I wanna tell somebody about my experience with God because it might just help them in what they're going through right now. You may not feel the need to have a Bible study. You, you may be a, a Bible scholar, but someone in that class probably, someone in that small group needs to hear your experience of God. Someone may just need to hear how you were given the victory 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 50 years ago. It blessed my heart a few weeks ago at our marriage conference that we had people who came to the conference who had been married six months, one year, 10 years, 23 years for us, 40 years, 50 years. Jan and Joy, how long have you guys been married? The Greer's here? They're over 60 years, still coming to a marriage conference. They could have led the marriage conference, the whole thing. And yet they were there saying, maybe someone at this table needs to hear that you can make it for 60 years. Maybe someone here needs to see that it's not all been primrose and tulips. It's not all been perfect, but God little by little has given us his presence. We've experienced the joy of the Lord in the land of the living. Maybe you need, you need to experience something you've never encountered today, the real presence and the saving grace of Jesus. If that's you with heads bowed, no one looking around, just between you and God, if you have yet to experience and encounter the loving redemption of Jesus, where he welcomes you into his family, you just need to pray a prayer like this. You can say it after me, dear God, let's all say it together. You might just encourage someone next to you to say it for the first time. Dear God, I come to you today, just like I am. I'm a sinner, 
I need a savior. Today, I repent of my sin. I say yes to Jesus. I thank you, God, that Jesus died on the cross and on the third day rose again. And I accept Jesus as my savior and I accept Jesus as my Lord. And I'll serve you, Lord, as you show me how. Amen.